there, um, my name is Eugene and um, in this video I want to talk to you about religion, I want to talk to you about inclusiveness, I want to talk to you about non-violence, I want to talk to you about sin versus idolatry, I want to talk to you about uh, taking action out of love and I want to talk to you about governance. Six things, right? So, what's the purpose of this video? Um, I want to talk a little bit about religion and sort of organized religion, institutions, um, gatherings, whether we should actually have religion and what is the, the point of it all, you know. And really this stems out of um, a desire to try and verbalize what type of um, religious community that I want to be a part of. I grew up in church. My dad was a pastor or is a pastor. Um, and um, I'm still in part of a church. Um, and I think through the years I've been part of different churches. I've seen many churches. I've known a lot of pastors. And I've come to believe certain things to be essential in developing a community. And I, I think I've been ob ob obsessive, compulsive in trying to formulate uh, what would the sort of ideal um, Christ-like sort of um, you know, community, authentic community of people look like, and what parameters need to be put into place to 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 actually help that um, you know manifest itself. Um, I think that the church that I grew up in, I'm incredibly grateful for all of it, and I think it it was really fantastic. You know, I grew up in a, a relatively small church where there were a lot of people who had uh, a lot of interest in me personally. They were interested in in my life and sort of my ambitions and my plans, and just very encouraging, you know. And 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 I've it was it's been, it was such a positive experience for me as a child growing up in that uh, environment, and actually a bit of a shock to go out into the world and find that you know this type of support uh, and encouragement is not necessarily mainstream. Um, but but having that foundation, I've always you know, aspire to sit down with people, understand what they're going through, understand what their ambitions are and trying to be encouraging for them. So my experience has been tremendously positive. Um, we've also been in some some churches where um, there's been church splits and all sorts of politics and things going on that hasn't been so positive. But yet at the same time, we remained in them because of the commitment and the love to the people that were there. So um, the first thing I just want to say is, you know, the word religion, um, the root um, of the word religion comes from a Latin word that means to bind, sort of to bond, almost like uh, glue, you know, to, to sort of tie us together. And the idea with religion actually is how we organize as people, how we come together, how we connect with one another. And absolutely, you know, how do you separate religion from God? There is this uh, sense that whatever the religion is, that there is a higher purpose, that there is a, a higher being or a higher uh, presence or, or, you know, that, that needs to be focused on and needs to be directed towards. And sort of it's the uniting thing that brings us all together, you know. So um, I'm, 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 I don't want to pin that down too much because even if you are skeptical of religion and skeptical of, of faith, maybe belief in God, uh, religion is still important. You know, um, what interesting thing I found while we lived in the UK was 
there's, there's actually a, a group called the Sunday Assembly. And it's for atheists who want to come together on a Sunday and sort of have the experience of community, um, have someone do an encouraging talk, um, have songs, have, you know, whatever, arts and, and expression, and actually connect with people who are like-minded. It's very interesting that this is sort of a religious meeting uh, for people who don't believe in God. So you can have religion without actually having a God there. But what is the higher thing that brings us together? It's a, you know interesting thing. So I think religion is important. And even coming from a very aggressive, uh, maybe a scientific uh, perspective, uh, you know, someone who maybe does, absolutely doesn't believe in God, I think you would agree that there is importance in how how are we going to help people to come together to feel like they belong in, in, in a modern community, in a continuously more multicultural community, um, in, in an environment where um, cities are getting bigger and bigger and there's social media, but are we actually, even though we're connected, do we actually have connections, you know, true uh, connections with people? So how do we facilitate that? You know, you can say, well, let's just have pubs. Well, how effective is that really? something's missing there. It's like there isn't a sort of a, a purposeful uh, planned component to it that says the goal is for us to connect and have authentic relationships, you know. So I think religion is important um, and, and um, it's all about this discussion of what it actually means. Um, the one problem I find, you know, having obviously my background being Christian, uh, being a Christian, is that I find religious communities to sometimes be defined by definition as being exclusive. Um, what's interesting is if you go online and you go and look at ch different churches' websites or denominations, is that virtually all of them will have a section that says, you know, what we believe. And you go in there and they'll have like a, I almost want to say a shopping list of certain sort of doctrines that they believe. And you almost know that in going to this church, you, you know, you're not going to change the way they think. Uh, you, when you go to the church, you have to sort of subscribe to what they think. It's not, it's not, you don't go there to be heard. You go there to listen and receive what is being said. Now, you know, I guess there's there's place for that, but I think in the in we do need to create space in the world where people are actually being listened to. And one of the, the sort of thoughts that that has really impacted me recently is this idea that you know, growing up, this word evangelism was about um, understanding that I have a piece of truth that someone else desperately needs, and I need to go and take my truth and I need to give it to them. Um, and sometimes that is, is quite forceful in which you take your piece of truth and you force it down their throat, you know, whether they want to or not. Otherwise, they are going to have an eternity in hell, you know, that sort of mindset. And, and what I've come to is actually realizing that I believe people are not sort of shouted or talked into a different way of thinking into you know freeing up themselves and and growing and opening up for something new actually people are listened into the kingdom of god into a new way of thinking 
And that's been my approach is trying to connect with people and actually listen where they're at and helping them take the next step and progress in whatever direction they want to take. Because at the end of the day, you cannot force anyone to go a certain direction. You can only give them the option of, you know, maybe open some doors and they have to go through it. So that's been my, my philosophy. But, okay, coming back to the point that I actually want to talk about is... I believe a religious community that is going to be sustainable in the 21st century and moving forward has to be extreme in the area of inclusiveness. What I mean by that is, you know, again, in my tradition, Jesus never said, you know, um, I am here for this group of people and anybody who, you know, who does these things um, I'm here for them, and this is the, this is my family. This is my group of people. Whoever he was with, was his family. Whatever you know, whoever there was, whatever need was in front of him, that was what he addressed. Um, so there is this sense that um, uh, the message that Jesus keeps talking about is do not judge. Uh, he talks about he does talk about judgment in the sense that God, who is a fair judge, who knows everything, who sees everything will judge fairly and that we should we as humans should not judge um, so there's this mindset that don't look at somebody else and try and find the flaw in them you know uh, don't look at someone else and 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 uh, um, the way Jesus actually describes this is he says don't try and remove the speck from your brother's eye until you remove the log from your own eye and only when you remove the log from your own eye can you try and help your brother. And it's this idea that when you look at your own flaws, you see them as major problems. And I have to focus on my own, um, you know, um, issues and failures. But then when I look at somebody else, I actually have grace for them. So the way this manifests is um, I think the church is very often... Um, they will say, they will give lip service to this idea that they're inclusive. You know, we're not chasing any, I don't know, gay people away. But why is it then that gay people don't feel comfortable coming to your church? You know, we've got to ask these, these questions. And, and, and for me, I find the, the, the Bible extremely clear that we have to make it explicit. We have to make it verbal. We have to make a huge effort to go out to the other to the person who feels excluded and go and get them and make them feel included. You know, whatever it takes to, to go out and let every single person out there feel welcome to come into this environment. If we don't do that, somewhere we draw a line and we say, well, obviously I'm in this club, you know, by definition. I mean, you know, of course I'm in. Those people, no, no, no. There are no those people. There, there, there's no them and us. It is, it's just us. Everybody's us. And what I find amazing is if you, if you think about Jesus talking about um, being saved by faith in the New Testament, talking about being saved by faith, how are you saved by faith, which is really believing something and not by actually doing something? You know, one way to see this is if you see yourself, if you believe that you are in, you're in. Uh, if you think that you're out, well, you're excluding yourself. Then you're going to be out. 
And that's one way of looking at the word faith, being saved by faith or, you know, being a part of the church through an act of faith is just literally deciding and going, no, I want to be a part. Yes, I think I'm, I'm part, you know. And, and, and again, in the Christian uh, tradition, we have this uh, um, act of being baptized, which is a public declaration of saying, uh, I receive what God has done for me. And I now publicly declare, you know, that I am a changed person. And really nothing's changed, right? I mean, you're still the same person, still dress the same, have the same job, you still have the same thoughts, the same habits. Um, those things will hopefully change over time into a new, more positive way, which is a fantastic thing. But the, the baptism is going underwater, coming out in front of a group of people so that you have an experience to convince you that you are actually in and, and something has changed. Has something really changed? Well, that's the point. Is where the, If you think you, you've changed and you think you're in, then you are in. And, and this is the sort of mystery of what does salvation actually mean in the Christian faith and what does the word faith actually mean. So if it becomes something by which a mechanism by which we're excluding people, I don't think that that is following the Spirit of Christ at all. I think that we have to be uh, extreme on this issue of inclusiveness and bringing people into communities. So, again, why do I say you know, religious communities need to be extreme on this principle of, of inclusion? Because if we're going to be exclusive, then um, for me that is an act of violence it doesn't necessarily mean we're going stabbing people physically or you know chasing them away with with physical guns but we're being violent in our attitude we're being violent in our words we're being violent in the way we think in that um, if those people don't want to think the way that I do then they can just go you know whatever um, if they don't want to accept the truth that I'm shouting at them then, you know, that's their problem. They need to just go somewhere else. If we are extreme on this issue of inclusiveness and we say, this is priority number one, it forces us to listen. Okay, so this re um, moves into my second point. The first thing I wanted to say was extreme inclusiveness. There's a difference, however, between saying, um, we want to have an ethos where anybody is welcome. We want to go out and connect with people who are marginalized, who maybe are not a part of our community. We want to ask, why do these people not feel you know, comfortable coming to us? You know, so that's sort of a general ethos. But then individual connection is, so someone actually comes, but are we connecting with them one-on-one -on -one and actually asking them to tell their story? to tell us about their challenges, to tell us about their frustrations and, and the, the, the suffering that they've gone through and the, you know, the issues that, that are currently going on in their lives. If we, don't, if we only come together and we put up this facade that, oh, of course you're welcome, but you know, don't give us the messy details. Don't, don't take my time for the next you know, 30 minutes and tell me anything that's maybe uncomfortable that, that is going to put me in a position where I need to feel like uh, I need to do something about this, you know. We have to go from just being generally inclusive to being, to individually connecting with people. Okay, um, enough said there. Um, 
The next thing I want to talk about, which again connects with inclusiveness, individual uh, connection, is nonviolence. Now, nonviolence sounds like a, you know, sort of Martin Luther King um, ideal, um, Mahatma Gandhi. Good people to listen to, I would think, you know. Um, so, but nonviolence for me is asking the question, how far do you go? Is there really no one that should be excluded? What if someone comes into the community and they are actually violent to people? So I think the mindset here is to distinguish between um, boundaries and exclusion. For me, boundaries is saying you're not allowed to come into this person's life and actually um, be violent to them. So we create space. But it's not the sort of space where there's a fence. It's just space in that uh, we're protecting this person so that you won't hurt them. But we're always looking in the direction of this person and saying, are you willing to have a calm conversation? Are you willing to sit down and not shout at people? Are you willing to not be physically abusive? Then we can have a conversation. But it's the moment we, we put up that fence that becomes permanent so that people are excluded, or the moment we become violent in our word or in our deeds, um, we've lost our integrity and we were unable to transcend violence. We have to break the cycle of violence. You know, uh, if, if you read on the issue of nonviolence and, and you look at the United States and how um, they are at the moment, you know, uh, doing executions basically by drone, um, then people will say, you know, it's such an idealistic sort of uh, naive way of thinking that, that, that this is unnecessary, that we can just stop violence in the world. Well, the reality is, is we've always had the cycle of violence. It's never stopped. The only way to stop it is to decide, I will not retaliate. I mean, just think about it. It's a, it's a sort of a mathematical sort of, you know, um, certainty that the only way, in my, in my humble opinion, um, but I feel strongly about this, is the only way we can stop violence is by stopping to be violent personally. And in every way, in word, in deed, in, 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 and I need to let, I believe people turn violent when they aren't heard. When we silence voices, that ultimately translates into riots and violence. And then oppression is sort of, you know, the oppressors and the oppressive forces in our world are then justified, or they feel justified, to then use force and ret retaliate. And we have, to, we have to stop the cycle. So on a more personal level, in what way are we severing voices? Who are we not listening to? Whose issues is just too uncomfortable to, to sort of sit down and, and face? And, and it is our responsibility in religious communities to give everybody a voice. If, if people are listened to, they will not turn violent. Just a quick comment about consensus. If we think about decision-making in this, and I'll come, come back to that a bit later, but I just want to say this. Consensus is not that everybody in the community... Um, 100% thinks that something is the most optimal perfect perfect decision. You know, you don't you don't have to convince every single person that they are absolutely passionate that something is the right thing to do. Consensus in my opinion, a practical consensus is that everybody 
needs to be heard. Now I appreciate that oftentimes in decision making there's limited time to, to do this, but there has to be a commitment implicit in this community to really be passionate about hearing, hearing people's concerns, letting people's voices be heard before coming to a conclusion. And then when people are heard and the decision that is made is in the direction of the majority, the rest of the people will be gracious because they know that there's a next uh, turn coming around and other decisions, the future that need to be made, where they will, you know, get their um, sort of interests looked after. So um, that was just a comment on consensus. Okay. The next idea I want to just talk about briefly, which specifically pertains to Christian communities and uh, uh, religion, religious meetings. I believe that in the West, um, specifically in the West, I can't speak for the East, but Western Christianity, we have this emphasis on sin. And we, we talk about homosexuality, for example, and we say that, is it a sin or not? Oh, it's a sin, so, you know, unacceptable. Um, as if God's ultimate goal is an arbitrary list of things that he set up before the beginning of time. And if you do those things, you are a sinner and therefore condemned. Um, and if you don't do those things, you are somehow justified. What does that have to do, if anything, with the gospel and the message of Jesus? I don't think it's got anything to do with it. If you look, read the Bible, you understand the whole Old Testament is about idolatry. Idolatry is about what, is, what do you worship in your heart? Do you worship your own pleasure? Do you worship money? Do you worship freedom? Do you worship, um, you know, uh, whatever? What are the things that we put first in our heart? And idolatry is about unrooting those and saying, no, I worship God first. Um, if you're coming from an atheistic background or a secular background, humanist background, um, just think of this as saying, I don't want to worship, I, I want to be free from everything in this world because not money or sex or any person or, you know, any uh, sort of uh, possession will make me happy. I need to free myself from all of that and I need to look at the bigger picture and ask what is in the best interest of me and everybody on this planet. That effectively is what it looks like to put God first, you know, sort of like it. And, and, and so the issue of idolatry is what is the condition of your heart? Sin is merely action that flows out of idolatry. And sin really is a punishment in and of itself. So if you do something sinful, you're harming yourself, you are less than fully human, and you are harming the people around you. So really what we need to be focusing on is what is the condition of our heart? Are we, are we loving? Are we caring? Are we kind? Are we patient? Are we inclusive? You know, are, we, do we, do, are, are we willing to listen to other people? I mean, those are the things that really talk about the condition of the heart and, and sort of what your habits are flow from that. So that, I think, helps a lot with thinking about um, the issues in our own lives and how we should be helping other people. Um, okay, so that's sin versus idolatry. The next component I think that is important in a, any religious community is criticality. Now, this is something that in the Christian faith, I think we have a very weird sort of way of thinking about doctrine. 
doctrine, it, it's sort of like a Middle Ages way of thinking, where there's the clergy and the laity. The clergy are the, the sort of theologians, the pastors, the teachers, the people who read the Greek and the Bible. Um, you know, obviously in the Middle Ages, the people who had a copy of the Bible and could read it, you know, and the laity were just the rest of the people who had to just take their word for it. So in this day and age, we have so much access to so many different resources and um, so that we can go for ourselves and actually go and look at what the Bible says for example and go and look at different interpretations try and understand the context as best we can I mean the, the very word um, exegesis or um, hermeneutics you know from theological, theological studies shows that there are different ways of looking at uh, uh, scripture verses and understanding them. That's the, that, that's the whole point, is that there are different ways of interpreting um, the parts of scripture. And people can, in the church can get quite violent, you know, sort of verbally abusive, if you do not want to accept their understanding. And, and there's this mindset where, you know, let's just go to the Word. Let's just see what the Word says. And, and, and let the Word just speak for itself. And you just read the Bible and it just, you know, it's obvious what it means. Really? I grew up in church. I was told what the Bible meant. So if I read the Bible, I just understand it as the way that I was told to interpret it. Um, let me give you a, an example of a piece of scripture that I had a certain understanding my whole life, and they had that challenge recently. You know, Jesus said to his, says to his disciples at one point, you will always have the poor with you. Now, that is a, 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 a verse that is, that is most often interpreted as Jesus basically saying, you know what, guys, um, you're all, there are always going to be poor people. Oh, shucks, what are you going to do? Which really doesn't sound like something Jesus would say, you know. But even Jesus said, you know, that you're always going to have the poor with you. So, well, what if Jesus was actually saying, you are my disciples, and because you are my disciples, you will always have the poor with you. You will always be with the poor. Very, very different. It's, it's basically saying that, if you are like Jesus, you will spend time with people who are marginalized, who don't have a voice, who have needs, who need to be served. Um, whereas the other understanding is, oh, well, you know, there's always going to be poor people. We can just carry on with our lives and, and ignore them, really. You know, opposite meanings, really. Same, same verse. So which one is it? Well, I actually don't think it's the one that I understood it to be my whole life. I, I understood it to be sort of, you know, what are you going to do? Um, and, and so that's been informative for me. So it's interesting to me that after three and a half years, the disciples spent with Jesus, according to the Bible, um, three, three and a half years. And even after that time, Jesus says to his disciples just before he was to be crucified that there are many things that he'd like to share with them, but they couldn't bear it. They couldn't, you know, cope with it. They couldn't understand it at that stage. But that the spirit of truth, the helper, would come and lead them into all truth. And to me, that is, that's a long-term thing. You know, the truth, the moment we think that we can have the truth in a box, we can control it. I think we've become idolatrous. We've worship, we're worshipping our own intellect. And, and we want to manipulate and control other people. 
where if we understand the truth to be as big as the universe, you know, and we'll never fit all of it in one brain, then I have some truths that I'd love to share, um, but you have truth that I can learn from. And we're in this together. And there's a sort of mutual respect and submission that says, you know what, this is the best way I understand it. I'm willing to explain it, but I'm also sincerely willing to listen to your point of view and understand where you're coming from, you know. And that's the sort of attitude I think we do have to have. Criticality in community for me is saying every generation has the opportunity to go deeper into the truth. You know, uh, I mean, my son has access to information and tools and concepts from a much younger age than I had access to it. And that will continue to be the case. Um, you know, and who, who knows what's going to happen with computers and AI and all these sorts of things that, uh, you know, it's just going to keep keep developing. So we need to set our kids up not to be fear-mongered into trying to keep that box as close, you know, small as possible, but to actually learn how to discern what is reliable and robust from what isn't. And the way to do that is to say, is to actually show them, you know, this is the way I understood something and then I learned this and uh, let's go look at the Greek, let's go look at different translations of the Bible. If we're talking about the Bible, you know, obviously the, the, the subject will be diff different depending. But criticality of just having a healthy sort of level of skepticism about whether something is reliable or not is a good thing. In the church, unfortunately, there are some verses in the Bible that have been used in a way that I feel, feel is fear-mongering, in which we're saying, no, 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 you've got to believe what I tell you, and, 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 and don't open your ears, don't be open-minded, you know, don't go open your ears to those people because they'll deceive you. Um, and it's sort of a way of saying, look, even if what I'm telling you doesn't make sense, just keep believing it. And if those people come with something that actually sounds like it makes a lot of sense, and appeals to you, no, 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 you're going to be deceived, you know. What is this? Where does this come from? And how is that good? So we have to debate about this and say, what is a healthy way to discern what is reliable, what is true, and what isn't? And sometimes I'm afraid that there are power struggles in communities where people want to make their way of thinking, they want to force it down on people rather than empower them to think for themselves and discover the truth for themselves. What, let me put it this way. Again, coming back to the doctrine that, that, that churches ascribe to and sort of say that this is what we believe. Instead of saying to people, tell us what you believe and what questions you have, we're basically saying to people, if you don't believe these things, um, then you don't belong, um, which kills conversation and vulnerability and honesty. People are not allowed, you know, well, people are not made to feel comfortable to acknowledge that actually my faith isn't that strong. I have questions about A, B, and C. You know, you'd rather have to just say, yeah, yeah, yes, yes, of course I agree, of course I agree, so that you feel like you're still a part of the community. So dysfunctional. So how do we free people up and create environments in which they're okay to say, you know, I have these questions, these things I'm, I'm wrestling with. And once they do that, they feel they, they're in a position where they can actually change and, and sort of wrestle with, with uh, the ideas and the options and, and make some progress. So I think criticality is absolutely essential.
The next thing I want to talk about, second to last, almost done, is action based on love and not obligation. Um, there's a lot that can be said about this, but I feel that if we are going to develop sustainable communities and where we're not going to have people burn out and do things just because they feel they have to and feel obligated and sort of pressurized into doing certain things, we have to ask ourselves, well, what really motivates people? And ultimately, I think the main thing that motivates people is people, I believe, yes, they have needs and they want to be heard, but people want to move from that place where they are actually serving other people. Nothing is more fulfilling than helping another human being and doing something for them. But people need to be helped and facilitated to the point where they can go. Um, it, it, it's almost like you first have to reach a rock bottom. You have to hit like a solid rock uh, foundation of, I don't have to do anything. You don't have to do anything. Stop. Don't do anything. You know that saying of, don't just stand there, do something. No, don't do anything. Just stand there. Just sit down, have a drink, calm down. And actually, let's not do anything. And then when, you, when you, that really sinks into you, that, that you don't have to impress anybody, you don't have to try and measure up to my expectations, you don't have to measure up to anybody's expectations, you don't have to try and be something you know, spectacular, superhuman, you don't have to you know, be at every single meeting and serve in every single team and, and be flawless and all of, these, all of that nonsense. Actually, just calm down. Just be loved, be accepted, be a part of the community, be heard, be served. And then at some point, you can reach a point where you go, no, I want to serve. I want to do something for someone else. So I think this philosophy is important because, yes, we need to sometimes do things that we know are right, even though we don't, you know, don't hear like music playing and people dancing and, and whatever. I understand that. I understand that we have to go to work and get a paycheck to pay for bills, you know. I understand that. But I feel like at a sort of divine level, God speaking to us, there is the sense that you are loved, you are accepted, you belong. Don't try and impress anybody. So how do we create communities, sort of religious uh, interventions where people um, can express their creativity. People can be empowered and mobilized to say, what is it that's on your mind? What are you interested in? And, you know, I know what typically happens is people will say, oh, I'm interested in, you know, uh, um, orphans or, you know, children in need, for example. Well, the first thing you do is, is not start a church, you know, a new orphanage or a new sort of uh, ministry to kids. The first thing you do is you go and visit other organizations that already do that work. Why do we have to start a new one? So, you know, partnership is another point to talk about, but um, and having a gracious and a sort of open-minded way of saying, no, let's rather work together than trying to be an exclusive club where we are, we're the only people who know how to do something. Um, but letting people feel that they don't have to do anything. If they want to do something, they can do it, I think has to be uh, embedded in our communities. 
And I want to say this about this. Imagine the society in which we don't have this attitude to, to homeless people, that they are useless and they should get a job and fix themselves. But actually, if we, if we just as a hypothetical, if we had a world and a society and a country in which people had a place to stay, they had clothes, they had a place where they can get a shower, they can get, you know, three good meals a day, uh, they could get health care, they could all get all those basic, just the, the sort of foundation level of what any what you would give your child, okay, just as a minimum, clothes, place to sleep, some food, health care, and, you know, basic care. And that that was the foundation. And if you didn't work, so what? Okay? I appreciate it. I'm I'm not talking about, you know, how to do this now. I'm just saying hypothetically. What would that do to our mindset and the way we think about the world? You know, I meet so many amazing people who naturally have a desire to create. You don't have to convince them. They've got all sorts of interesting hobbies. Um and the spirit that's there when they're busy with their hobby is so different, even though it can be very hard work, you know, than the spirit when they have to do something out of obligation. So certainly religious communities being volunteer-based needs to be, um, I think, a place where we get people to act out of love and not obligation. Okay. The last thing I want to say is I think governance is essential. How do we ensure that these religious institutions are trustworthy um, over the long term? And I think it comes down to transparent governance. Transparency is just basically saying, I've got nothing to hide. Here are all the numbers. Here are the books. Here are, uh, I'll tell you all the details because um, so that you can fully understand, anybody can fully understand whether you're a part of the community or not, this is the way things are run, and we're just open and honest about it. Um, finances are the first way, but then also how is the authority and decision-making structures determined? Who elects, you know, how are people elected or, or appointed into certain positions? These things have to be crit critically evaluated and improved one generation after another. Um, otherwise, it will not be sustainable. So, lot said... I believe we can create communities where people really can belong, where we don't have to be motivated, excuse me, we don't have to be motivated by fear, obligation, feel that we're being oppressed. We can actually create an environment that empowers people and sets people free to be vulnerable, to connect, to belong, and to make a difference.